0: hi guys i just wanted to hop on really quick before this episode started and give a trigger warning um sarah and i talk about ptsd cptsd trauma sexual assault religious trauma abuse childhood abuse abusive relationships and shame but for context we don't go into our experiences any of that it's nothing is in detail it's not uh explaining triggering experiences we just mention it when we're relating to our trauma um And so with that being said, I think that this episode is actually very validating and encouraging and affirming for survivors of trauma. It was very validating for me, even as someone who is in the conversation. Um, Sarah has so much insight into CPTSD and it's so validating. um, And it's also something that just really isn't talked about very much. And it's just, it's a very, lots of validating and encouraging things. Um, and also lots of kind of practical tools and next steps if this is something that you realize you're dealing with. Um And then in addition to that, we talked quite a bit and mentioned quite a bit about um, The Body Keeps Score by Bessel van der Kolk. And I've talked about that. My guests have talked about it many times on the podcast. But I wanted to announce that I am going to be doing a three-week series next week and then the two weeks after that, um, breaking down that book. And I'm going to read it in three parts and I'm going to talk through it with you guys. And I'm announcing it because I'm going to hold myself accountable to be doing it because I've yet to read the whole book because it's daunting to me a little bit. Um, But I think it's daunting for a lot of people and I really want to read it. So I think it might be more digestible for some people if I kind of break it down and talk about it um, compared to just the, the daunting feat of having to read the whole book for some people. So that's going to start next week, which I'm nervous about, but I think that it'll be beneficial. And I've heard so many good things. I've read part of the book, but I just never could finish it because I was just too nervous and got too overwhelmed. And um, I feel like I'm in a space where I can deal with it now. So I'm very excited for that. That will start next week. Um, but for today, we have Sarah of Breaking Down CPTSD. And like I said, I think this is a really beneficial conversation, and I hope you feel as affirmed and validated as I did talking with her. Enjoy. Hi, all, and welcome back to Mindful Minds. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, we're going to be talking about CPTSD with Sarah Aird of Breaking Down CPTSD. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I mentioned this to Sarah before we started, but um, there's going to be a lot more background noise in this episode. And I apologize to the audience. We are recording this on June 26th. And for fellow Pacific Northwest people, we are in the middle of a heat wave. And I normally turn off my air conditioning and my fans and any background noise while I'm recording the podcast. I'm not doing that today because I would prefer for my apartment not to get above a certain degree level. So we're going to keep it rolling and sorry if it's a little noisy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I wanted to have Sarah on because I mentioned to her, um, I think a lot of the audience that listens to this podcast, at least people that I know of, um, there's a lot of people who have PTSD in some form. There's a lot of religious trauma. There's a lot of sexual assault. There's a lot of abuse in general. And I think a lot of the demographic that listens to this podcast is a lot of young people who are coming from an environment where mental health is not necessarily it wasn't talked about i think as much when we were younger as it is now, and so I think a lot of us are kind of fumbling our way through this thing, trying to figure out what do we have, and how does this work, and how do we get better from this? How do we heal from this um and that's I think the you know, the direction that I come at from a lot of these episodes is trying to give you guys as many tools as possible. But I thought that this would be a, a good topic to, to kind of touch on because it's something that we've talked a lot about trauma, we've talked a lot about abuse, but we haven't really talked about PTSD specifically. And we haven't talked at all about CPTSD, which I mentioned to Sarah's because I don't really know too much about it. So I, I will be learning here as well. Um, but yeah, so Sarah, how did you get started in talking about this and kind of having this be your center point of your page? And, you know, where did it all where did all that start?
1: So I am a complex PTSD survivor myself and have been, I would say, on um a recovery journey for the last 15 years. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, I resonate with what you said when I got started. Um Like I knew something about my life didn't feel right. I didn't feel, um, I mean, outwardly things looked like how they are quote unquote supposed to look, but I found myself, um, just struggling. Right. And not understanding why. Um, so I, like you say, kind of fumble my way, um, trying to find answers, um, to questions. I don't even know what they are. Um, I'm lucky enough, I think over the course of those years to get in touch with some resources that end up being really helpful. Um, and then, uh, as I, um, this last few years, uh, I think have come into a space where, I'm feeling a lot of healing and recovery and life actually starts to feel like how I always thought it was going to, right? I find myself generally, um, you know, like contented and and practicing, um, right? Like, like finding connection and emotion and, right, like uh, purpose in my life, things that I thought I would just kind of have but didn't. Um so I I felt compelled <laughs> to come online and share that experience mostly because like you were saying um I felt really hopeless for a really long time right and I used to think that that was because there was something inherently broken about me um as I go through my journey though I realized that like if once I get in touch with the right resources and the right answers and the right explanations, recovery is not so far out of reach. And it starts to feel hopeful, like, oh, there is a way through this. But it's so hard finding um, those paths, right? Because like you said, we're just, it's just, it's, it's messy. And we're all just trying to figure it out. So um, that's kind of what drove me to create breaking down CPTSD was like, if, if people can have a roadmap, if they can have words, if they can have resources, there is definitely right, like an other side to this thing called complex PTSD, where life feels more hopeful, it feels more manageable and, and like, enjoyable, right? <laughs> not just like surviving day to day. So um my account is about uh a year old this this month and and I've just been sharing um you know the resources that I've picked up over the last 15 years and and in the context of my story of how I um have used them, how I found them and uh it's been a wild ride. The Instagram, (laughs) I did not expect all the things that are happening, but it's been good too. I think I like being able to, um, hand something to a survivor that helps them make sense of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I relate entirely to, um, I guess just kind of the like drifting through life and like surviving instead of, I know that like I'm surviving, not thriving is like sounds super cliche, but also like is actually very relatable. Um, And I actually kind of think that that's probably where I am a little bit in life right now is, and I think that that's probably similar to a lot of listeners as well as uh, like I just graduated college like last year. And I think once you kind of get out into the world and you're not so focused I think when you have something that's really in your face like school or like like some big milestone graduating high school graduating college like getting you just anything where you're even like getting married if you're like in the middle of planning a wedding like anything that's like huge and in your face can kind of distract you from a lot of the stuff that's going on inside and then when you finally get a second to breathe and like look at life around you it can be a little bit a little bit overwhelming um and I think for me personally, it's been a lot of holy shit, there's a lot going on in my brain and like how I'm the type of person where when there's something that's a lot and I I'm I have to break things down into small portions in order to be able to unpack that. And even if that's like organizing my house. It's like I can't I can't try to just like approach it all at once. I'm like a list person where I got to start like okay, we got to do this cabinet and then this cabinet and then this cabinet. And so it kind of goes to then like the cabinets of my brain where it's like, Mm -hmm. I have all these different traumas kind of hidden in different doors. And it's like, oh God, I don't really know how to start here or even how to approach this. And, um, me and my therapist are working on that, but either way, it's like very overwhelming. And I think a lot of people, um, relate to that. And there's also finally starting to be actual, education and knowledge about PTSD just in general. Um, so much of my generation is so aware that it is something that m- like most people go through, like most people have oh, PTSD yeah. of some extent from something compared to generations prior. It was like, I remember telling someone that I had PTSD when I was maybe 19 or 20. And it was an, someone who was older, like quite a bit older than me. And their response was, you're a veteran? And I was like, "Do I fucking look like a veteran? <laughs> like, I am 19 years old. No, I'm not a veteran. <laughs> like, yeah." And I, I literally was like, "No." And they were like, "Oh, you said you had PTSD," and I was like, "Sure, yeah, I'm a sexual assault survivor." And they kind of like rolled their eyes. And I was like, "Hmm, okay, cool." But I think so much of my generation is we're aware that like trauma can kind of come in any form, and even more so your brain just decides what trauma is like something that's traumatic to one person may not be traumatic to someone else and you it, you really don't have much of a say over that your brain interprets something as traumatic and your literal brain chemistry can shift and it's just kind of like well okay well now i have this thing um so i guess to start for people who Maybe not even might not even know what CPTSD even stands for. Just even just as an acronym. Let's start there with what is it? Just a brief kind of
1: description. Okay. Well, so PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder, and and CPTSD is just complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Um. I want to go back to a couple of points that you made that I think will kind of help explain this, which is one that like a lot of, right, like what we identify as trauma, right? Are these really narrow like definitions, like war or right, like natural disaster. We're thinking like, you know, um, these kind of, um, big events, right? Like catastrophic events. Um, and so for a lot of us we um, are in our day-to-day life, like in growing up experiencing, right? Like consistent forms of trauma, but we wouldn't call it that, right? We would just call that normal living, right? I think that's one of the reasons why it becomes so difficult later in life. Like you say, you, you get out there and you're adulting, which blah, right? Like, um, I really resonated, you know, like how you said you, you hit these different milestones, um, and different like stuff starts to come up. Like, oh, I'm, and, and I used to think that like, once I get here, I'll be fine. Once I do this next thing, I'll be fine. Oh yeah.
0: Right. Once I
1: graduate, once I do this. So, um, that doesn't really happen. (laughs) No. And your sense, because my sense is like, there's something wrong, clearly, but my sense is that what has happened is normal. Right. Mm -hmm. So like, I just keep thinking there's something wrong with me. So I think that's part of it is like, like you said, now we're kind of expanding our um, conversation about what trauma is. And like you said, that trauma is different for every nervous system. So trauma is what overwhelms an individual's nervous system beyond their abilities to cope. And that, that can be influenced by a variety of things. So, um, but we tend to, right, live in these spaces where like, this just must be how everybody lives. This is the normal. This isn't traumatic. And 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 complex PTSD survivors, I would say in general, have a really hard time recognizing their experiences as traumatic because they have been with them for so long. It's just like, oh, this is just how people do it, right? And it's like, n- no, <laughs> no, no, it's not. So Right, post-traumatic stress disorder (PTSD) kind of speaks to what you were saying. These these kind of single catastrophic events. Um, people with PTSD tend to have a sense of who they were before the event. Where someone with complex PTSD struggles a lot with identity, like who am I? It's hard to remember, like who they are before trauma, right? As they start to get in recovery, like I don't, I don't know who I am. I feel tons of internal conflict, right? They, they, they both have, they have overlapping experiences, um, where like in both, um, CPTSD and PTSD, you're going to have like re-experiencing of traumatic events, like a reliving or triggers, right? You'll also have um, flashbacks, but those can vary from like visually or in the body somatically. For a CPTSD survivor, it can just be emotionally, like I'm just taken back to an emotional state where I don't feel safe and I feel overwhelmed in my capacity to cope. And then um, a PTSD survivor will generally like avoid situations, right. Be hypervigilant and kind of uh, like try to keep themselves from having to re-experience those events through triggers. So they're like, right. Doing avoiding behaviors and hypervigilance, but there's a little, there's some hyper arousal. Those are really similar experiences for both a CPTSD survivor and and a PTSD survivor. Um, The difference, I think, for complex PTSD is that, like I said, when when trauma is um, prolonged, repeated, right, chronic over time, and especially um, when we're growing up, it's like woven into our the ways we're developing and like the way our identity is forming and the way we're learning to think about the world. how we're learning to relate to other human beings right it's all just like mixed up in there so later you'll find that you really struggle with relationships and you don't know why it's like i i want to have this kind of relationship i want to get connected i want to be authentic i want to be real and like i don't know why the hell i can't do it right like it's just it's really confusing Also like there's a lot of emotional dysregulation like i don't know how to feel like i'm either feeling too much or i'm not feeling at all right like this kind of pendulum between dissociating checking out numbing out going offline to like i'm just right like flooded with emotion and i don't know how how to handle that and then i think for me this one was kind of the, the kicker of the mall is that like one of the most difficult, uh, symptoms or side effects of CPTSD was this very, um, shame based, harsh, and, uh, just disconnected relationship I had with myself, right? Like I had so much self-loathing, self-hatred, um, and, and, and that was just the, the weight of that burden was the, probably one of the worst parts of, right. Like of complex PTSD, again, though i don't know that as a symptom and so i'm like i'm just a horrible awful terrible person and why is it this thing i think like it's tricky because as a society we don't right we're we're, we're learning how to recognize trauma on different levels when people are going in and asking for help often what they're like, what's manifesting or showing are the coping mechanisms for CPTSD, depression, anxiety, dissociation, addiction, right? Eating disorders. These are all the things that we are picking up in our desperation because we don't have, um, other things. We don't have support. We don't have resources like, um, therapy, I think is shifting from a, what's wrong with you, which would be that list of things that people come in with, right. These are the problems I have to a, what's happened to you to make you right. Have to pick these things up to cope. Right. And, um, with all of this stuff that's living inside of you.
0: Right. Yeah. So I'm going to go back to a few things here. So, so first of all, um, To the adult aspect of when you become an adult and it's kind of like, whoa, this is a lot. Um, I think a huge part of that as well is if you are so used to whatever, because a lot of trauma is in in your before 18, right? Maybe not all your trauma, but a lot of times where how you grew up, your childhood, your relationship with parents, your even a lot of different like relational things where maybe you don't, Uh, you don't know how you should be treated or you're it's a lot of stuff happens like before the age of 18 and before you have that freedom and I think a huge part of that is just that you don't have freedom to like leave Mm -hmm. like I remember so many times as a kid feeling so trapped and just being Mm -hmm. like I can't drive (laughs) like I can't go anywhere and like you know there'd be fighting in my house and my older sister could get in her car and drive away and I'd be like fuck what do I do? Like, where can I go? And it felt so, you you feel very stifled. And I think a huge part of the, the kind of like pipeline of you move out of the house and then you start to realize, Ooh, Ooh, my brain has some funky things going on. I think a huge part of that pipeline is being exposed to people where, or even experiences and family dynamics and relationships where you realize, Ooh, what I was experiencing is not quote unquote normal mm-hmm. so like yes
1: yes you make a good point where it's like I talk about this a lot where when we're growing up we have these developmental needs to attach right attachment is something that's talked a lot about in trauma to attach to a caregiver and and attune meaning like We feel safe with this person. We're able to go to this person and have them respond to our emotions in a supportive way. There's empathy, right? There's like conflict resolution. We work through stuff. We have that like neurologically wired into us. Our nervous systems are also wired for survival and safety and protection. And when you're a kid in an environment where you're trying to attach and attune, but it's not safe, um, and you're not, and you're not feeling protected. You, this inner conflict starts to build within you where it's like, I need these caregivers. I need attachment. I need attunement, but I also don't feel safe. And that right. that conflict creates like what you said, all of these cabinets of issues where you right. like, start to tuck that stuff away. Um, and, and a lot of it is we just start to adapt. Okay. Like, where is the space where I can kind of be attached and kind of be safe just enough to get through this?
0: Right. Yeah. And I think I, I was, um, I know that there are actual disorders of like dissociative, you know, I don't know if it's a personality disorder or if it's a dissociative emotional disorder, um, not dissociative identity disorder, but like specifically like within emotions of just like, like constantly shutting off. Um, I was like that until I was literally 18 and I had no idea that I, that that was a, and I'm actually going to do an episode on dissociation just on its own, but it, so much so it, I self-care. So self-care has been talked about so often. Right. And looking back like pre 18, like me before 18, those 18 years of my life. um, It's very hard to take care of yourself and to recognize how to take care of yourself when you are in survival mode mm-hmm. and you're like really deep in survival mode. And I, I like, you know, burnt out was burning, like being burnt out was not something that was talked about. That was not Mm -hmm. something that was actually like normalized or, um, there were no, like, that's been a more recent conversation of like, here are the signs and all that kind of stuff. I was so burnt out that like processing emotions wasn't even on the forefront. I wasn't even like cognitive cognizant of the fact that I needed to process emotions. It was like, my brain was in such an like autopilot. These emotions are too much. I don't have the capacity for them. They're going away for a very long time and we'll get to them later. And it was funny because I was aware that that was happening. So mm-hmm. I was aware that I was dissociating. And actually my entire family was aware of it. My mom would call it um, my cave. Like wow. it literally had a name in my family. My All of my my parents, my sister, it was like, wow. oh, she put it in her cave. Because I literally would just be like, you, you could... You would literally be able to see it shift off in my brain. And it was the same way with, um, I think, when you're dissociating with things like that, whether that's trauma or just emotions being too much or whatever, or even just not having the tools to know how to process emotions, it's also very hard to then factor in being vulnerable and accepting positive emotions because you're kind of just shut off in general and you're just numb. And so even positive emotions or like, I, I really f- uh, feel fulfilled and my love tank gets filled with like physical touch. But because I was so turned off, it was like, I would, someone would like hug me and I would literally like, my mind would go blank. And it was mm-hmm. like, I, I wasn't receiving any of that because I couldn't and it like everything was turned off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, and it's funny because now I, I'm, because dissociation can also be a skill. And it can be used at, at really good times when like someone gets hit by a car and like normally your brain would need to like process that. Oh my God. Oh my God. Trauma. And if you're able to just like turn it off for a second and go help the person and make sure they're okay. And then process that emotion later, that can be a really great like crisis skill, um, which I was great in crises because I could just turn it off, but I could never, I didn't know how to turn it back on. And so when I hit 18, I basically shoved too much shit into that cave where I tried to take one thing out and it's kind of that like funny graphic in like a children's book when the kid is told to put all their stuff away and they just stuff it all in the closet Mm -hmm. and then they pull one thing out and everything comes tumbling out. And it's like, Oh no, like, whoops. That was my trauma where I pulled one thing out to try to work on it and everything came out. And I was like, Okay, so and I, I was so aware it was happening too. Like I would tell people, yeah, like I opened my cave and like it's all fucking out now and I don't know what to do because I'm like so exhausted all the time because I cannot yeah. make my brain stop processing. Um and it's then then you go from survival to like still kind of survival, but you're just like surviving, trying to survive your brain constantly processing emotions which I never understood why I was so tired until Mm -hmm. someone like took me aside and was like, yeah, so like your brain is, you're actually burning calories. Like you're literally burning calories by, by processing, doing this much brain work. Like your brain is like doing so much work. You're, you're quite literally exhausting yourself. Cause I, I went to someone who had, was kind of mentoring me through a lot of this. And I was like, is it normal to be like taking like four naps a day? Cause like, I can't, I can't function. And she was like, yeah, kind of like your your brain is like, it's doing overtime right now. Um, And so one thing that I wanted to ask, um, and if you you might have an answer to this, you might not, but the identity thing and the remembering yourself before or like wanting to go back to that person for PTSD versus CPTSD. I find that really interesting because I relate to both sides of that. I have a specific trauma where I used to literally verbalize, I had a name for myself. I was valedictorian in high school and I like really took that as part of my identity. And in college, when I went through a really intense trauma, I used to literally say out loud to people, I just want valedictorian Fina back. I don't know how to get back to her. I need to figure it out. And I would talk to like, I remember talking to my, like my academic counselor, like, for for college and being like, yeah, I just need to figure out and he was like, maybe we, maybe we like create a new Fina, like <laughs> maybe right. we don't try to go backwards. But then I also have um the I also relate to just like not knowing who I am. And so mm-hmm. can PTSD for like a specific scenario or a very specific trauma that sticks out that was like one of those kind of flashbulb memory large event kind of things, the catastrophic things that we're talking about um can PTSD for an event like that and then CPTSD PTSD for kind of an ongoing trauma can those two things exist simultaneously
1: oh I definitely I definitely think so and I think I resonate with what you're saying that like especially right because we live in a world where we're experiencing trauma so like in my in in. Right. Like in my later years in life, I definitely have like these pinpoint events where I would say there's a before and an after. Right. Like it's right. the where I was before, and the now I'm in the after. And then there's also like when I think about kind of my when I like zoom out and look at my whole life, I do though see that like my whole life has been a big question of like who am I, which we all ask, right? We all go through developmentally like that's part of our development like right. in adolescence and young adulthood is like oh i'm trying to figure out who i am and i'm differentiating like meaning i'm like seeing how i'm different from my family and like kind of right like pulling together my identity we all go through that i think though in in cases where like you're experiencing chronic neglect or abuse or trauma like you said earlier the priority is not like, Oh, I'm going to go discover myself because there's not space for that. What there is like, what is happening is I'm just trying to get from day to day to day to day. Right. Like my basic needs met or like, right. Not get ridiculed, not right. Like, and, and I'm stuffing things away or, um, or my development then becomes about like, not who am I truly, but like, who do I need to be to 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 survive where I am in this moment? Right. right? So, yes, I think there can be like you know a combination of things, where like um, that before and after feeling, or that feeling of like I've never known anything other than than this. Right. Right. A little, the question a of different. I don't
0: remember when this started.
1: Yes, and I think like I like to talk about dissociation because. In one of the books that I uh, I love and I think is very informative is The Body Keeps the Score. And in that book, um, the author, Bessel van der Kolk, says that dissociation is the essence of trauma. Meaning like you said, when, when we're in survival... Our priorities can't be like, I'm processing this, or I need to work my way through this because we are, we don't have resources. We don't have support. So dissociation is putting that stuff somewhere else, the cave, the cabinet, like whatever. And it's interesting. Like, I think some, like you say, some of us are very aware that this is happening. Others, Mm -hmm. we can't remember, right? Like there's, dissociation is different for, for all of us, but What's interesting is that because of dissociation, which is a gift, right like it it's not it's not inherently bad. We dissociate all the time in our everyday life, like I'm right, driving right. home, we've used that, you know, example I drive home and I don't remember how I got there or whatever. Yeah. On the extreme end when we look at the spectrum of dissociation, like you said on on one end is like a dissociative identity disorder. And mm-hmm. complex PTSD is kind of towards that side of the spectrum where I'm kind of having to fragment myself, right? I like, oh, this thing that I'm feeling can't be here. I put that over there. And this part of myself isn't accepted. I'm putting that over there. And I'm just cutting right. myself into pieces to to survive this. When we get out, I find that like people are, we, we think, oh, I'm doing fine. Like, look at me. And then all of a sudden we um move out or we get married or we find ourselves in some i think relative amount of safety right mm-hmm. like and all of a sudden like you said <laughs> all of a sudden we're not okay it's like well i i thought we think that before it's like oh i was okay i was right we think that's the the normal i was alive
0: yeah i like made it work whatever yeah
1: but then we like f- something I, I i hear this for For a lot of survivors, there's this moment where there's a tipping point where some current experience, some emotional thing that kind of just opens the doors and all of a sudden, like, it's not okay anymore. And I think that's, this stuff is so body-based, like you said, it's like the processing is physically happening in your body and that's exhausting dissociation, all of that's the same way. So it's like, we're, our bodies are just holding, 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 holding. And then one day they're like, I think it's
0: safe. (laughs) Yeah. And like, no matter how you spin it, that's exhausting. I think sometimes dissociation can seem less exhausting because it may not be at the forefront of your brain, or you may even just be so used to it that it's become so normal that the exhaustion you don't even notice anymore. Sure. And then when that shifts to now, instead of I'm dissociating, I'm processing, it's like, oh, OK, so now this now I'm very aware that this is happening, because I think that a lot of times dissociating you, like you said, sometimes you're not aware that you're doing it or that it's mm-hmm. happening, whereas with processing, a lot of times it's pretty like, in your face where your face. you you know it's happening. And then that can be a lot more exhausting, I think, even just because it's closer in proximity, like just to. The forefront of your mind where it's like you know this is happening um but yeah no i think specifically with the you get so in survival mode that once you have a chance to even take a slight deep breath or even a little bit of a shallow breath or something you you realize kind of okay the identity aspect of am i kind of like i I think there's like you said everybody has the who am i who do Mm -hmm. i want to be But Mm -hmm. I think that there's this, this different, um, I don't know, there's a shift where you can look at yourself and say, did I, did I really like those things? Or did I like those things because I didn't want to feel insecure? Am I actually a quiet person? Or am I a quiet person because people have made me, yeah, people have made me feel terrible being loud. Mm -hmm. And I know for me, I hit oh shit, like 20, I think. And I hate the question, what are your hobbies? Because my only <laughs> hobby was school. I was so invested in like being a good student. Um, and I don't know, I still haven't quite figured out why I latched onto that so hard. I think it was something that I could hold on to. And it was tangible of me saying, hey, look, I'm a good person. And I, I, it, I had tangible results to show Hey, look, I'm worth something. Like I have these really, really good grades and I'm really fucking good at this. Like, Mm -hmm. look, 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 look. And I remember hitting like 20 and people would always ask like, what are my hobbies? And I'm like, I'm a really good student. Like I have a (laughs) 4.0, like that's my hobby. And I remember hitting like 20 and I was like, oh my God, I don't have hobbies. And I was like, I don't have anything, not even just hobbies. Like I don't even have anything that I like love. Like people would ask like, What what do you like love to do? And I'd be like, watch TV and like check out. (laughs) Other people would be like, I love to go to the farmer's market. And I was like, oh, damn it, like that's better than mine. And I remember just thinking, like, okay, TV is like, sure, like it's cool to have like TV shows that you love, but like that's probably just me wanting to dissociate from what's happening in my life a little bit compared to actually like filling myself up. And I sat down and I um I was introduced to like the concept of I'm going to mispronounce this because I always mispronounce it, but either like Hig or Hig or like whatever that it's like. Oh, who got? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. And like the, the comfort and like the, mm-hmm. that whole concept. And I remember making a list of being like, okay, what actually like makes like what, like joy, how do I feel joy and comfort and safe? And I like started going through my head and I was like, I'd always said my favorite color is pink. And I was like, I never wear anything pink. I never have any pink anywhere. Like I don't like pink at all. And I I literally one year in college completely took down everything in my dorm room, went on like online and was like, I think yellow makes me happy, which also it's like kind of scientifically proven to make you happy. But I was like, I think I really like like mustard yellow. Like I I keep gravitating towards that color. And then I was like, I think I like and I started going through all these things and I completely redid my room and like covered my space in things that I actually think made me happy compared to Mm -hmm. I had always I'd always gravitated towards really modern design because I thought it was cool. And I thought it was trendy. And then I was like, I don't actually think I like any of that. And there was just kind of this like awakening where people would, then when people asked me my favorite color, I had a favorite color. And it was like, I actually have a favorite color because I love that color and it literally makes me, it makes me feel warm. Not because it was the default answer as a girl Sure. that I just would answer as a child and now it's like defaulted into being my favorite color and it was just that little small piece and I think that was probably my first step into Ooh, okay so maybe I don't actually know like, my identity at all maybe it's all a little bit shaky here sure.
1: um
0: and I, mean, I also oh, 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 oh go ahead no, no you go ahead, go ahead. <laughs>
1: Oh, so I was just gonna say, identity is a really interesting thing, right? And mm-hmm. I think we're like, what I'm like learning and discovering is that like, identity is very fluid. We're gonna be exploring who we are and shifting, and as we have more experiences, right? Like we're we're constantly in a, in a form of like shifting, growing. At least I would like to think so, right? Yeah. Trauma is the opposite of that, right? It's right. like making things super rigid and 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 it's like aligning with what keeps um, the trauma or like the the narrative of abuse hidden, silenced, and shamed, right? So everybody right. just has to pick up a role within whatever the structure is it could be like you were saying religious familial cultural where it's like I just I play this role to keep the peace to not rock the boat right to like and I'm just gonna start right like that's that's as we're growing up it's like oh this must just be who I am but when anybody tries to step out of their roles within the system and they're like hey I'm tired of being the quiet one or I'm Or I don't think I'm really this person. The whole system goes, hang on. No, like you have to stay in your role because if, and this is, this is complex PTSD survivors stepping into healing. They often get so much backlash because they are stepping out of their roles and saying, I don't want to be this anymore. I'm, I want to discover what I truly am. And the system is just like, no, thanks.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, when I decided to leave the church, which was a huge source of my trauma, I remember people literally, I mean, just the patronizing language of just like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're lost. Like, that's really sad. Or people messaging me and saying, like, I remember seeing how joyful you were when you prayed over me. And it was like, okay, okay. I was joyful because that was what I was choosing to show up as and to, uh, exude. That's not necessarily how I was feeling. Mm -hmm. I, I got really good at putting out exactly what people wanted me to put out and looking exactly how people wanted me to look. And so like, congratulations, you got duped. Like Mm -hmm. I wasn't actually like, you know, feeling fulfilled and, and whatever. I just got really good at pretending that I was. And I was very scared to ever admit that because when your eternal life is at stake, (laughs) it's a little scary to admit, hey, so this thing that I've been like super all in on for the last 18 years, that if I choose to step away from it, I might burn in hell. that, That thing actually hasn't fulfilled me in any way. And I literally haven't, I always feel confused and I always feel like there's something more, or I always feel like, okay, no matter how much effort I put into this, I, I don't, I don't feel like it's working quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, it's scary to then be like, uh, yeah, so, um, I think that maybe this isn't working. Like, do I go to hell now? What happens? <laughs> right.
1: So, Well, I think that's like, what's tricky, right? Because like within an abusive system, the, the priority isn't authenticity. It's not oh, no. like this fluid, like You know, like some of the things I've like really wrestled with is like when I go back and look at either like familial experiences, religious experiences, right? And I'm like, was that like, what was that? Right. It's like, was that real? Was it not real? Like what I'm discovering is that for sure, I didn't feel a lot of authenticity in my life for a really long time. It doesn't mean that all my experiences. I can just write them off and say or whatever, right? But it's like, but I think what gets hard is like, there's not like it's there's not a lot of space for people just to change, right? Like you like even if that's even if that person at one point in their life did feel like this religion was helping them or they felt connected to their family or whatever, right? And now it's different it's like people keep wanting to go and say, you have to stay here. You have to stay and be this thing where it's like, it could be both. And I think that's the skill of like part of recovery for me anyway, with complex PTSD has been like holding space for seemingly contradictory things, which is like, um, you know, like, eh. And, and kind of opening my mind to, like, people can shift and change and grow. And that might be uncomfortable for me because I'm like, oh, I don't know you this way. But right. I also then can adjust. But it's, like, making space for some of this ambiguity, right? Like, that it's, like, yes, I could have been in this, like, like, I can love my family and I can also not... <laughs> like thrive with my family. Right. Or right, right. I can have had like some good experiences in my religion, but now I don't feel like it's really like taking me where I want to go. Right. And letting people just
0: do that. (laughs) Yeah. The, the gray and the nuance I think is really hard for a lot of people. And I think that's hard in any situation because it, Life is not black or white, and unfortunately, so many brains think that way, including myself. Which can, thinks that way, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and, you know that that can be something that, like, even I, I have the har- I've I've been in multiple abusive relationships, and I have the hardest time explaining them to people. Like the uh, the hardest time because I yeah. will sit there and be like, "Yeah, so, um, well, like he." Uh, He, like, verbally and emotionally abused me, but also is, like, the only reason that I'm alive and was, like, my best friend and meant the world to me and, you know, yada, 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 yada. And it's just, like, and people will, like, that's so hard for people to understand when they're hearing your story, especially when people are protective of you. It's immediately, like, screw him. And I I always go straight to, like, well, like... I loved him and I knew a lot of his backstory and like his trauma and like, and it's not even like trying to make excuses. It's just like, it's not that black or white in my brain um, f- because there's, I'm, I was too involved. <laughs> it was like, I just know too much about this situation to be able to just write. And I have emotional stakes and things that sure. just makes it so messy and blurry and confusing. And I actually wanted to kind of move into relationships slash ongoing abuse. Because I have a question for you, Um, is it more common for PTSD to be more of a flashbulb event where it's maybe something from that happened once or that happened that was a big, large, like boom event, and see PTSD to be something that happens when it was an ongoing dynamic with either family, partner, stranger, friend, etc. Yes. Okay.
1: Right. Like, like, I think Another. So, okay. (laughs) Complex trauma or complex PTSD is speaking to what you're talking about, which is the complexity of human relationships, right? Like a lot of, I would say complex PTSD survivors, when they're talking about their trauma, they're talking about relational trauma, right? Like what, like happens between two people and often like, right. Not just a stranger on the street. It's like the people that are supposed to be for there for us, the people we love, the people we care about. And that, that that relationship is incredibly complicated. Right. And, and we've been talking about this on my platform, but like you said, it's so hard to describe that to people it's hard to describe the loss and grief of that trauma because it's like it's and in both. And right, and right. As a survivor, that was. It took me a really long time to get to the place where I could recognize that within my relationships. Right, and and these are significant. Right, these are like familial. Um, my my partner, my children, right? Like how they've all been impacted by this trauma. And that it's not just like these, like I don't like, like I hate these people, I love these people, I right, like I don't want to be near them. I do want it's 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 not like that. That's what no. makes it so
0: hard. So like And so complex, which is yeah, yeah it gives gives a little weight to the name there. <laughs> to the name, yeah. So like the PTSD. Um,
1: <clears throat> when it's a single event, it might be it could be with uh somebody that you love and care about. It could be with a stranger. I think like one thing that I have read, um, and I am um, I'm gonna pronounce his name wrong. I think it's Gaber Mate. I always pronounce his I'm gonna have to learn that so I say it right. But he just <laughs> talks about that like it's not that we get hurt. It's that in the face of that hurt, there's no one there for us. That's mm-hmm. what can be really traumatic. So these, like, whether it's PTSD or CPTSD, I think the complexity of, C, of of CPTSD is this, like, ongoing relationship, like you said, that is and in both. It's like, this is my mother, my father, my brother, my sister. Right my best friend, my, my partner, my children, my whatever. Right. And, um, within that relationship, there is abuse, there is neglect, there is, um, you know, horrific things happening. And then there are also other things happening where it's like, there are moments where it's like, man, I really care about you or, Right, right, you were there for me, and then you weren't there for me, right? And you supported me, and then you destroyed me. These, this is the complexity of CPTSD and what survivors are are sifting through—just layers and layers and layers.
0: Oh, the you supported me and then you destroyed me, like hits so close to home. That's like because that's so confusing.
1: What's
0: mm-hmm. so confusing, and it's also like you said. And it's just, it's hard. That's hard to explain to someone because that's an experience that is your experience. It's not an experience that someone else's experience. And I think, especially with people, I always have a hard time even just like, especially if that person is still in my life and I'm trying to figure out how to be in relationship with them in a healthy way. I have a really hard time telling other people about the trauma because then as people who love me and protect me, they want to just be like, Oh, screw them! Like you know, blank is the villain, and it's like, okay, well, uh, like I also really love them, and like they're still in my life, and we're trying to create a healthy dynamic and heal from shit, and like, can we it's, like, like, oh, uh.
1: <laughs> it's tricky because like people, I think, I think it's human that we want like clean answers, like, oh yeah, yeah, clear solutions, but it's like, I mean, I think the survivor who chooses no contact and estrangement from their family, people will say, but what about all the good stuff? Then it's the, like, domestic violence or, right, like, survivor that's, like, or, right, that's trying to heal a relationship and they're, like, why are you here? It's horrible. (laughs) You you can't really ever please the crowd. You can't. And, And I think, like, as a survivor, it's so hard to try to explain your decisions to people cuz right like we like categories we like to say these are what the quote unquote like bad people look like and these are quote unquote
0: what right, the good right. people
1: look like but my experience was and that was a hard thing for me is like the quote unquote bad people look like everyday people right they're right. just they're not good or bad they're just they're people some of them have done horrific things to me and I choose how I handle right, like our relationship and what the boundaries are. But I also had um, a wrestle and a struggle of like, that happened to me. And some part of me still feels attached and still oh, feels yeah. love and still feels things that are like, really hard to understand. Even when you've lived through them, you're like, I, I don't even
0: understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I think the, the idea of, especially when it is a relationship, no, like familial, whatever partner, um, where that's something where you, you know, that person and you have gotten to know them and you've gotten to know their trauma and you've gotten to know maybe why they are the way that they are, you're exposed to their humanity. Mm-hmm. And then that's why, like, then it's, it's a lot harder to hate someone when you've been exposed to their humanity and you sure. you know, you know, their background, especially when you're someone who I, I've always been a very empathetic person. And so when I look back on a lot of my trauma, A lot of my trauma is involved with even a lot of my trauma is rooted in relation, like, you know, partners that were very abusive. And they're also partners that I sat there and held them when they cried. And I sat there and helped them find a therapist and like, you know, would hold them and like comfort them that's so difficult to then be able even i remember when i first was able to even label it abusive i felt like i was betraying that person sure. um by mm-hmm. even calling it abusive because it was like oh god like i've put them in this category of abuse and now they're an abuser and it's like oh but they were i felt like i always needed to have like an asterisk next to that of like i was in an abusive relationship but also it was a really loving relationship at sometimes and they really supported me and cared for me and um I you know will always hold respect for them in that aspect, but it was also really hard and just like this big long description of yes. like like abusive, but and I I I think this is something that I've actually it's been on my brain since we started talking. Um, I, I've always been hesitant to call things that are more complex trauma compared to abuse, and I think that's because trauma in pop culture, and media, in everyday conversation is often described as those really large catastrophic events. Even sure. if that's like, I saw someone die, like, oh, that's so traumatic. That was a trauma. And I think that for some reason, I've gotten more comfortable with, with saying, oh yeah, that was abusive. But then I won't give it, I won't allow it to like, to call, or I won't allow myself to call it trauma, despite the fact that like, If you're in an abusive relationship for a year and a half, that's probably going to be traumatic. And like, there are, you know, even I think of a telltale sign of trauma is like, if you're, there are statements and things that were said or things that were did that just are things that were done, sorry, that were, uh, that are replay in your mind or that will pop up and will be triggering or will kind of send you back to certain things or even trying to move forward and if someone says something does something that reminds you is similar etc i you can get defensive or you can get whatever panicked that's often a sign that that was a traumatic thing for you Mm -hmm. and i have so many things for my relationships that like play in my mind like on a loop sometimes Mm -hmm. but yet for some reason i i i didn't feel like i had the right to call it trauma because oh well people have been through so much worse traumas or whatever the lovely yes. like comparison game <laughs> that we love to play um which is obviously so harmful your your trauma is your trauma and doesn't matter if someone else thinks it's traumatic or not sure i think
1: it's like those words i mean like words are are beautiful in that they like help us right like understand and explain ourselves better sometimes also they're like more confusing than helpful and I think like um right like my understanding is that the trauma right is the stuff that resides in our body right it's the mm-hmm. way our our nervous system responds to this the event whatever has happened over like you know this pinpointed moment or you know over decades What's living inside of our brains, our nervous systems, our bodies, like that is what trauma is. And so it's like, I think people, you know, like you said, pop culturally is like, oh, trauma is war. Trauma is this, right? And like um, narrow, but that's like war is war. Abuse is abuse. There's medical, right? Like there's all of these different things that manifest differently in everyone's body. But yeah, it's it's like um, the vernacular is, gets kind of tricky <laughs> and all of that kind of stuff. But it's like, I mean, I think it's, um, right, like honoring people's experiences. Like we all might use different words, but I think what people are like speaking to is that I was impacted. I was changed. Mm-hmm. I was um hurt. I have this, you know, I'm I'm cold, like this, I have pain. That's really what people are saying. Right, I mean, right. And they, and they just want somebody to say, oh, I hear you. I see you. That makes sense. I understand. Or I'll try to understand or tell me more. Or right like right. that's really what at the end of the day, whatever I think the words are that we're using is people are saying, I'm in pain and I'm suffering and I'm struggling. And they just want the
0: person across from them to say, I hear you. I see you. Thanks for telling me that. Right. Validation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also mention um, when I was doing a little bit of research um, for this episode, I I Google searched uh, CPTSD. And when I did that, Google asked me, did you mean PTSD? And I was like, I did not, but I wanted to ask you about that, about the lack of representation, the lack of conversation around CPTSD and as, as, as much research as I've done, which is pretty minimal, um, I don't think it's even in the DSM-5 as a diagnostic, I don't not. think you can be diagnosed necessarily. I know you can in like a, you know, a therapy, uh, situation where a lot of therapists are aware that this is a thing and should probably be in the DSM-5. Or I guess DSM six. Um, But do you know, do you have any idea why that is, why it's not talked about more, or rather, even why it's being talked about more now? So
1: um, I thought about this a lot because yes, it's not like it has no diagnostic criteria. So you go into a therapist's office, right? And this is again the thing of like, how is trauma presenting? And so you'll talk to your therapist, and they'll be like, "Oh, it sounds like generalized depression or anxiety." Right? And then we have all these other, I you know, like um, labels that I think sometimes be helpful in that they point us to resources that can help us, but they can also be like we're talking about symptoms, we're not talking about the source, right? What's what's happening underneath? So, um, like you said, uh, I think. If like when we talk about in terms of like funding, research, press or whatever, if something isn't right, like officially labeled as like a diagnosis, right, it's going to be underfunded under, right, like people, it's just right, like they're not going to hear about it as much. I was even thinking about like two books that were hugely influential on my journey, The Body Keeps the Score, and um, Pete Walker's Complex PTSD from Surviving to Thriving; those books are less than ten years old, right? So, like that, those books came out like in the middle of my journey. Where right, I was like, right. Oh,
0: Body Keep Score has been like the Bible of like right? trauma for a while now.
1: <laughs> so it's like people are just starting to get right. Like I remember being in therapy, and my therapist. You know, I feel like I lucked out in finding a trauma-informed therapist, but like kept saying complex, PTSD, complex. I'm always like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right. And like introduced me to this idea, right? Like that, I think these are, like you said, maybe becoming more well-known terms, but lots of people will go in seeking help. And they won't, they won't hear, oh, that, you know, like they won't hear words like complex, complex trauma, complex PTSD. They'll hear like, oh, this is, you know, depression. This is anxiety. This is, um, right. Like there might be interpersonal skills. A lot right, of it's going right. to be cognitive behavioral therapy, which just doesn't tend to work very well for trauma survivors. And so it's like, it It's a huge, it's a huge obstacle in that I would say that some therapists recognize what I would call the lived experience of survivors, right? Like survivors are coming together. And I think there are also clinicians that are doing the research that are like, this is my lived experience. This is what it feels like. It sounds like PTSD, but it's not quite that. It's more like this. This is what it right. feels like. Oh, that feels like that way to me too. And so, right, then it starts to, you kind of piece it out and see, and you see what the differences are. You know, I hope that, right, it gets some recognition soon, right, because then survivors can be, I mean, those labels are important to me only in that they point people in the direction of resources that are actually going to help them.
0: Right. And I think that in general, diagnostics are, um, I don't think that this will probably happen within the next decade, but potentially like it'll be building on itself within the next decade and then start to, you know, see the light a little bit. I think we're moving more and more towards a spectrum Mm -hmm. of diagnosing compared to a yes or a no. um, I know that there's already a lot of conversation around bipolar disorder and that, that it's more of a spectrum than it is a yes or a no. And obviously we've already kind of made the jump with autism. And like, Mm -hmm. I think that we're just moving towards that. Once again, life is just not black and white and like things are on a spectrum and there is a lot of gray and a lot of nuance. And unfortunately you can't fit people and you can't fit mental disorders and trauma into like nicely little, you know, nice boxes tied in a totally. bow. It just doesn't really work like that. Um, but yeah, I think it's also hard because I- I'm in the battle right now of like, dude, what the fuck do I have? <laughs> like I'm like going through all the list of things. And um, I've got so many things that I'm like, I think I might have this, but then it's like, is that something masking as this? And there's actually a different root cause. Is it, I have a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And it's more of a spectrum. Is it, you know, X, Y, Z, there's just so many different variables to that. And the thing that's so tricky with that is because it's all so, um, nuanced. And so often diagnoses are very, very, very nuanced medication is not nuanced and they have not come up with medication that works well for a spectrum of disorders compared to a yes or a no. Um, And so I think that's where it gets really tricky is it's like a lot of the times for, if you've got like a gamut of mental disorders and you're trying to figure out what medication can help ease some, some of this, this burden, I think for me, especially Um, I was so anti-medication for a long time. And then it was like, dude, I can't process all of this all of the time Mm -hmm. and do this without having something that's taking a little bit of the load off here and like helping my brain work at a better capacity to be able to actually actively process this. Um, I had a therapist that told me medication and therapy slash like doing the work should never be more than a 50-50 balance. You want to make sure that you're doing you can have 50% medication, 50% medica- or um therapy, but you don't want to have medication be the be sure. the majority of what's controlling the the situation. Obviously there's there's situations where that might be needed in like really dire circumstances, but in general, a good rule to go by is like the 50-50 method or less than. I mean, if you're on, you know, as needed medication and maybe you're five percent medication, 95% coping. But um yeah, and on the the I guess little last note here treatments coping mechanisms how if if there's someone listening to this and they're feeling I've had this listening to podcasts they're feeling that kind of anxious oh shit is this me did someone just like read my diary kind of thing uh how can they get started to try to work on this to try to you know, work through if they do have CPTSD, what treatments are effective? Are there treatments that are effective, et cetera, et cetera?
1: So what I would say just initially, you know, coming back to what you were saying, like, I think what you're speaking to is like, right, the complexity of humanity, right? we're When we're talking about treating people and they're coming in with, right, a variety of what I would call like survival skills that are not working that well in their life anymore, right? It's like, I'm tired of surviving. Survival could look like different things for everybody. could look like eating disorders, addiction, um, dissociation, right? There's uh, a, a ton of things that people pick up to survive. They maybe get to that point in their life where they're like, this I don't like, I'm tired of doing this. I don't right. like, I don't like the way that I I feel doing this. So they come in. Um, and it's like, um, we kind of live in a society where it's like, okay, I'm going to check all these boxes. This is what you are. This is the treatment now. Now you should be better. Like if you do this thing, just like we've been talking about with complex PTSD and complex trauma, like the, 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 the core issue, the core struggle is complex, right? And 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 each lived experience of every survivor is different. And so when I think about like complex PTSD treatment, it's it's I call it a collection because and and then that every individual survivor's collection of tools looks different. Um, there is no like one size fits all remedy because, um, we all need, we all need different things. I would say that there are general areas, um, of recovery that, uh, that need to be like addressed and that there's, um, different tools within that. Like, for example, we've been talking a lot about identity and sense of self and this idea that we dissociate fragment and that kind of thing so like one modality uh in trauma work is parts work or inner family systems which is this idea that within me there are different parts like there's the part of me that wants connection that wants authenticity in my relationship there's also a part of me that fears abandonment and wants to isolate. And when those two parts come together, what it creates in me is a conflict and I might write sabotage relationships or run from a relationship. Parts work is the framework where we learn to resolve those inner conflicts and create an identity where our parts feel heard, that they feel like they have a say. And we start Feel like a whole integrated person instead of like at in a tug of war with ourselves. There's also like I mean I I think about my own recovery, and it's as complex as my trauma was. Like it involved it involved elements of body work where I'm learning how, like I'm understanding my nervous system. I'm learning how trauma is stored in my digestive tract in my muscles, in my, right, like in my skin and how I process that energy, which isn't necessarily verbal. And like, I just talk my way through it, but it's like a body-based experience. Then there's right. Like, um, the relational healing, like you said, a lot of this trauma happens in relationships. And we want to heal in relationships too. We want to learn how to get that authenticity, connection, conflict resolution, um, all of those kinds of things. It can feel really daunting (laughs) at first. It's like, oh, yeah. I don't even know where to start. Um, One of the things that I say, you know, is like when you're out looking for things, um, I would say, uh communities of of survivors are a wealth of information right because we're out there finding what works and so getting tapped into one of those where you start to hear about modalities that you that you could try there's I, on my platform i hear about modalities all the time that I haven't tried but I'm like amazing well, you know tell me more <laughs> like let's Let's build. Let's build the toolbox because we all are going to need a, a different collection of things. But it's like, where do I get started? What I would say is like, you're going to want to look for trauma informed resources, practitioners, um, spaces. And when we say trauma informed, we're look we're looking for like different qualities that these. Places, spaces, resources have. One is like, uh, for example, that the goal is to empower the survivor to own their recovery experience. So often in the therapeutic experience, we go in and it already feels authoritarian. You're the therapist. You tell me what to do. That's going to fix me if I listen, right? You're the one in charge. A lot of that can speak to the trauma of a complex PTSD survivor where they feel silenced, disempowered, right? Like, I'm just supposed to do what somebody tells me and then I'll survive. When I'm in a trauma-informed space, I'm collaborating with a practitioner and they're saying, tell me about your lived experience. What is it that you need? How do we find modalities? Maybe I don't have that modality, but I can help you find one, right? They, there's this belief that like, if I, that I don't have to have all the answers as the practitioner, like I can understand that you might need a lot of different things. I'm going to help you find that, right? I'm going to help oh, yeah. you discover. And, and so it feels more like collaborative, empowering, right? Um, exploring. Right, and so if you're out there and you're like, "Where do I start?" I would suggest, um, I think, "Body Keeps the Score" uh, by Bessel van der Kolk and uh, "Complex PTSD: From Surviving to Thriving" by Pete Walker will give you an idea of modalities that you um, could start with, right, and then right. start looking for spaces and practitioners and resources who follow these trauma-informed principles.
0: Yeah. And on the note of like practitioners, I do think that a lot of times that is very much so a trial and error thing. Like you very well might get into a space and realize very quickly, this is not for me. And please, please, please listen to that instinct. Mm -hmm. and go with that instinct and that can be so hard if you are a survivor of trauma to especially if you're a survivor of trauma that may have happened in like you said an authoritarian space where standing up to authority and a lot of people view their therapist as authority can be really scary Mm -hmm. um but i mean i had i've i've gone through shoot like six therapists And it it took me like that long to find one that actually works. And um, I had one therapist where I literally showed up and the first 10 minutes were her arguing with me about billing. And we got on the phone with my insurance company trying to figure out billing. And she's on the phone speaking very rudely to the customer service individual taking the call at my insurance company and I kid you not, I had driven 30 minutes for this appointment. I'd paid for parking. We hadn't even sat down to actually have an intake appointment. We were still trying to figure out billing shit. And she's talking rude to this person on the phone. I reached over and this is her office phone. I took the phone and I said, we're actually not going to need uh, yeah. anything else like to to the customer service person. And, and she looked at me and was like, wait, but we're and I said, no, no, uh, we actually don't need to thank you so much for your help. I apologize for the confusion. Like, thanks. Hang up the phone. And I was like, yeah, this isn't going to work.
1: Like, and she
0: looked at me and she was like, uh, immediately like offended and was like, yeah, I don't think it's going to work. And I was like, it's not. Thanks for your time. Like I'm going to head out. And I'm so glad that I did that. And I didn't stick with someone who already made me feel unsafe in the first appointment. So please listen to your instincts. And I was just,
1: add to that that like when when you as a survivor if you go to pick up a tool or a resource or a relate like a relationship with a practitioner um when it doesn't work we tend to think it's because we're doing it wrong or like there's something wrong with us right but we might want to just get more curious about like one, maybe this isn't the right space for me. This could not be the tool that's going to work for me. This thing might not be trauma informed. This might not be a good fit, right? Well, I think a lot because it is such a hard process in finding the the things that work for you. It can get really discouraging because I think that kind of in that's that side effect of um, negative self image right that comes from complex trauma would say this isn't working because you're so broken and right, that's right. not true at all so it's like as you're going out there first I acknowledge your frustration how hard it is to find right, this stuff right. but if it's like if it's not working it the question of instead of like what's wrong with me might just be why is this not working for me and then right. like, finding what does
0: yeah, no, for sure. And also give yourself grace if you need to take a break from like healing, quote unquote, because mm-hmm. if you're really trying to find a coping mechanism or something that will find give you some relief or some healing and you're running into those obstacles where you keep feeling like you're hitting roadblock after roadblock, like we mentioned earlier, like this is a full body experience and it it drains you a lot of the times. And so it can be really exhausting to like be trying all these different methods and not feeling like anything's working. And yeah. so I mean, me personally, like I've taken a little bit of a break recently, where my therapy was. Let's work through shit. Let's try to find stuff. We were going to start like uh, EMDR or ED- mm-hmm. EDMR. DMR. I think it's it's EMDR, right? EMDR. Uh huh. I was going to start EMDR, and I sat down with my therapist, and I was like yeah, so I don't have the fucking bandwidth for this. <laughs> and I was like, I'm so exhausted. Like, we need to put this on the back burner. And I told her how overwhelmed I was. And she started laughing and was like, yeah, no, this is not the time to start this at all. Like, we'll take a break here for a second. And my therapy sessions have just been me venting to my therapist about how shitty my week has been. It mm-hmm. hasn't been us trying to unpack a lot of stuff right now because I just needed a break. And that's right. fine. Um, I also would second the community aspect, Mm -hmm. I found the most healing by far by finding a support group. Mm -hmm. Um, and the cool thing about support groups, um, for one, I will, I will link these books. I will link, you know, all of that in the episode notes. So people have access to them. Um, I'm also, I think I'm going to do like maybe a three or four part episode series on the body keep score, because I think that that's just a really beneficial resource. And Mm -hmm. I have had so many people, recommend it even on the podcast it's just like it is literally like it's a go-to resource it's a and great so bug, yeah i think that that would be beneficial to go through but i'll also uh post um i have a like gosh like a hundred page document that is a whole bunch of different coping strategies mm-hmm. it's worksheets it's um mantras and like different you know Exercises and all these different things that you can do from the comfort of your own home that I have built up when I was running. I, I used to run a support group, and so I built that up during that time period. And I will post the link to those as well because if you don't have insurance, if you don't have access to healthcare, like trying to find practitioners that are affordable is like close oh, to right. impossible. So mm-hmm. um, I will post some of those resources, and then with support groups, you can go on like Psychology Today and some of these support groups are like, you know, 20 to 50 dollars a session compared to and they may only meet like once every other week or once a month. And so a lot of times that's a lot more affordable and accessible than trying to pay, you know, 150 300 dollars a session for a therapist out of pocket if you don't have access to insurance or if you can't find anybody that uh, you, that your insurance covers that is also trauma informed and also totally. like works with what you're looking for. Cause that's a right. huge, like I've got insurance. I'm currently not paying for my therapist via insurance because it's like, I went through the list of practitioners and I was like, I don't like any of you. I know <laughs> So, yes. um, so yeah, so give yourself grace. I'll try to post some resources that are more affordable, more accessible and all that. And then, um, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on. Um, I feel like this will definitely be helpful for people. I feel like I learned a lot about myself just in the conversation, which is always selfishly great for me. Um, <laughs> and I actually had you recommended to me. I don't know if I told you that. Um, oh, you no. were, yeah. I, you were someone who I've only been following recently. And it was someone who reached out to me and was like, yeah, no, you should have her on the podcast. And I was like, Okay, and okay. so you I'm were bladder. someone yeah, wow. you were someone who was recommended to me, so I'm so glad that it worked out because I really do think that um this will be super helpful for people who I think a lot of more, a lot more people have CPTSD than than they think that they do, you know what I mean? I think it's Life. a lot more common. Um but yeah, I, I wanted know. to give I go around and I'm like, I
1: think maybe <laughs> Maybe well, I you mean,
0: like, and- like we said, like life is so complex just in general. Like it's just it like everything is a lot.
1: <laughs> and A lot it of is. things are
0: very intertwined. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to give you a shot here as well to plug anything you have to plug. I know you've got your platform that has a lot of resources that are great on it. So I just wanted to give you that shot to tell the listeners whatever you've got going on. Perfect.
1: So I just want to do a little first a quick breakdown of the account. So if you visit at breaking down CPTSD on Instagram, um, the way that uh, our community works is there are daily posts about recovery content. Um, And I tend to do those in weekly series. So we tackle like topics on a weekly basis. And then all of those topics are put into guides, which you can access on my account at any time. Um, Another thing that we do on our platform is a collective uh, practice through Instagram live, which is called healing tools together. So I uh, guide, um, it's about a 45 minute practice um, through a body based tool. So we've done like, um, butterfly hug, which is bilateral tapping, we've done grounding self-massage, we've done stretching, or they're just a collection of body-based tools that help people learn to regulate their nervous system. Um, every month, I'm ta- I take donations to support the growth of breaking down CPTSD, which you can do um, through my account or on sarahaird.com. And then the last thing, uh, I have a survivor shop. It's called the Owl Survivor Shop, One Wildlife. Um, and that shop is uh, it's a growing collection of resources for trauma survivors. So in the shop right now, there is like a, a little trauma swamp booklet that speaks to having your trauma story witnessed and heard. There's stickers, um, there's an affirmation deck. There is a parts work journal that was written by me um, that kind of introduces survivor to survivor, that kind of framework um, and work. And then in the next, well, I think by the time this podcast comes out, there will be um, another resource called the Emotional Life Raft, which has like um, skills for navigating triggers, how to understand the message of emotions um, and just like basic emotional regulation skills. So I'm constantly adding resources to the shop um, based on the the discussions we're having online so that people have tangible resources that they can have with them every day. And then um, what's in the works but's not coming out yet, will be some recovery, mentorship, peer to- peer kind of programs um, that will have like, uh, one-on-ones with me and groups and all sorts of wonderful community building stuff in them.
0: Awesome. Well, I will obviously link all of that in the episode notes, and I'll post about it on Instagram as well. So the listeners, you guys, will have access to it. Um, and just as a reminder, um, Sarah's Instagram is at breaking down CPTSD, and then I'm assuming your website is S A R A dot Yes. Okay. Is. So I will post that as well, but, um, yeah. So that way you guys have access to all that. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And I love the fact that your platform is like holistic in the resources as well, where it's always hard when you find a educational platform and you learn a lot and then you're like, Okay, where do we go from here cuz now I have yes. all this information and I relate to it but I don't know a next step. So I love that that's holistic.
1: That's kind of like I feel like that's the mission of breaking down CPTSD or at least that's my hope is that um the idea is to like hand re- resources to survivors in the context of a story which says like here's the resource, here's how I've applied it and um right? Like see if it's something that might work for you.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, well, once again, thank you so much for coming on and all of that will be linked. Um, and Stevie Ray has joined us right <laughs> at the end here. Um, but yeah, so that's all the time that we have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please write us five stars on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow the blog on Instagram at Serafina blog and visit us online at And as always, to end our time, unclench your jaw, take a deep breath, and remember, you can always learn, you can always grow, and you can always choose to live your life in a more mindful way. I will see you guys next week.